Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We got a great episode for you today. Uh, we got a chance to sit down and talk with Matthew Wolf. Actually, it was over the phone. Uh, caught up with him. He has won five out of the seven collegiate events he's played this year. Recently just won the Valspar Collegiate event. And uh, he's known for his crazy wild swing. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of him. Uh, most of you have heard of him, but in case you haven't, he's got one of the most unique swings in golf. Swings at about 130 miles an hour is coached by George Gankus and uh, is one of the top-ranked amateurs in the world, looking to turn pro here shortly and is likely to be a future star on the PGA Tour. Uh, we've not gotten a chance to interview a college student before, a college athlete. This was really cool to do, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think people are going to be really intrigued by what he has to say and what he's going to hopefully accomplish in the world of golf. Uh, don't have a lot of PGA Tour takes for you on this past weekend or anything else around the world of golf. We're kind of uh, kind of focusing our efforts more towards the Masters, so I do hope you enjoy the interview. Of course, Paul Casey won the Valspar today. Uh, Scott Hend won in Malaysia, and we want to give a special shout out to our one of our young hitters. In case you don't know, we're sponsoring five players on the Web.com tour this year. Justin Lauer is one of them. He won the Coke Dr Pepper Open last week uh, on a mini tour. I believe it's the All Pro Tour. And uh, Vince Cavello made a birdie on the last hole today to get into a playoff with Justin where Vince ultimately uh, emerged victorious. So our young hitter finished second in uh, his first web event, repping the NLU logo on his left chest. So our hearts go out to him for the runner-up finish. Uh, it was a great performance, and we really hoped he was able to gut out the win, but just wasn't meant to be. But some uh, success is on the horizon for Justin. So uh, without any further delay, let's get to our interview with Matthew Wolf. Enjoy. Expect another podcast coming later this week. We're going to go two per week. All the way up through the Masters, and even after that, we got a lot of uh, a lot of interviews on the backlog that we got to get through. So, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. All right, now welcoming in one of the top collegiate players in the game from Oklahoma State University, Matthew Wolf. Matthew, first off, do you have uh, any idea what you signed up for today? <laughs> no, no, my uh, I've had a couple people tell me that they've listened to the No Laying Up podcast, and I've listened to a few too. But I mean, I'm just looking forward to it. All right, sweet. Well, I got like a, I got a million questions for you, but first of all, kind of the uh, we we've never had a college player actually on. We've never really talked about kind of how you balance a schedule during a school year. So, I want to know like what your schedule is like during a tournament week and a non-tournament week. Like this week, you're traveling. Uh, I just kind of want to understand how you balance the class load and uh, during a during a tournament week and a non-tournament week. Um, yeah, it is a lot. I mean, we we definitely are you know pretty busy. Um, I mean, pretty much every single day. And, uh, so for tournaments, we kind of, I'd say we leave two days before the tournament starts. So we usually leave, you know, sometime in the morning or the middle of the day of, um, two days before the first round, get there and either have a little bit of time to practice, or if we get there during the nighttime, kind of just check into the hotel and, and relax a little bit. Then the following day is the practice round. So we'll, you know, wake up in the morning. Usually they're, the practice rounds are in the morning for college tournaments. So play the practice round, eat lunch, and then practice the rest of the day, head back to the hotel. And then, um, usually college tournaments start, you know, relatively early, like eight or nine in the morning. And 
you know, with warming up and, you know, stretching and all that stuff, you have to get there at, you know, 7 a.m. So you're waking up at 5.45, 6 o'clock in the morning, which is which is pretty brutal. But uh, it's a lot of fun being with the team and, and traveling. We get to go to some pretty sick places, Cabo, Hawaii, Florida. I mean, can't not definitely not complaining about, about all the travel and, and work. And, you know, school's definitely hard, too. I, I take... I think I'm in three three online classes right now, along with uh, one on campus. So, you know that that helps me manage school a little a little better as well. Um, but it it is kind of, you know, after playing a practice round or being out at the course all day, you're kind of <laughs> drained and kind of just want to, you know. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is pick up books and probably probably do schoolwork. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's not that's not my favorite thing to do, in, in you know, in the first place. So. It's not something that I, you know, I like to do or, or anything, but, you know, you know, you got to stay eligible and, and get it done. And, you know, we, we have a good Oklahoma State itself has a good, you know, history of having, you know, really smart people on the team and, um, you know, having academic All-Americans, which is presents something about our, our program, not only golf wise, but academic wise. And what about like when you're not playing a tournament? I mean, we, we hung out at Stanford uh, a couple uh, last month and we, we saw kind of like the study room they had there and the facility building they had right by the range. And I just, I remember looking back at it. First of all, I never had the talent to be at that level ever, but I like, man, that would be like a really cool way to experience college. Kind of have that team atmosphere and kind of doing your homework all together and whatnot. Do you guys have a similar kind of facility at Oklahoma state? I, I mean, Stanford's, a, I think, a little better academic uh, well, true. institution <laughs> than, than Oklahoma State. So it's kind of hard to compare those two. But, sure. Uh, but, no, I mean, we do not um, on the on the at Carson. We don't have any, you know, study. We have a locker room, which, you know, sometimes we'll go out there and do some homework before we practice. But um, on campus, we have, you know, we have something in a kind of in Gallagher, Iba, which is kind of where all the you know, that's where we work out in the morning. We work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday at uh, 7.30 in the morning. And sometimes it varies depending on, you know, our trainer and stuff. And uh, and then also, if, you know, I, I, I like to go in a couple, you know, an extra day a week or something like that just to, you know, keep my body in shape because, you know, traveling and everything and practicing every day it takes a toll on it so well i'd like to hear a little more about those workouts i mean what uh what do you say what would you say the main focus is of them are is it flexibility is it strength combination or kind of what is uh what does the program look like and is everyone kind of on the same program uh no we all have uh, individualized programs actually so um there's people like victor hovland and zach boshu they're not as big into lifting as let's say you know me or austin or austin Eckrode or hayden wood we really like to lift and, you know, everyone starts out with the same exercises at the, um, at the beginning. So we stretch, make sure everything's loose and no, you know, no part of our body hurts or anything. And then we'll do some, you know, mobility exercises just to, you know, loosen up and get the muscles activated, get the blood flowing and everything like that. And our trainer really loves to do lunges for some reason. I don't know. We, we probably do about 150, 200 lunges every single, every single workout. So, you know, I'm not happy about that or complaining. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this, but that's, that's where the power comes from though, is the, is the base, right? <laughs> I guess, I guess that's where mine comes from. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it, you know, it, it definitely helps, you know, I have relatively big and strong legs, so that's kind of where, you know, George Gank is and my coach. And he kind of always says that how, uh, how I use, I use the ground really well. So yeah, I guess, I guess you can say that's the, the just lunges. 
Just if 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 you want to hit it far, just do a bunch of lunges, right? I was gonna say, I think you just answered your own question as to why you're <laughs> why you're doing all these lunges. But what's the weather like in Stillwater this time of year? This is mid March. We're recording this. Like, is it? Do you guys play a ton of golf? You know, in Stillwater this time of year, or are you really looking forward to? Kind of, you mentioned Cabo and Florida as, as some of the trips you're taking. I imagine it's to get a little bit out of the the weather you're getting this time of year. Oh yeah, I mean, it's Stillwater. I mean, I really love it there, but the weather isn't ideal. It's uh. I think the last couple of weeks have been, you know, either 30 degrees and light winds or rain or stuff, or it's been, you know, 50, 55 and just blowing 25, 30 miles an hour. So it's right now, it's definitely not ideal. It's not, uh, if you, if you get a good day out there, if you get, you know, under 15 mile an hour winds and above 50 degrees, 45 degrees, I mean, I mean, you got to take advantage of it. There's not, there's not a lot of times to you know, have weather like that and work on parts of your game where I feel like in, in wind, when it's blowing that hard, the only thing you can really do is just go out and play. I mean, cause it affects every single effect affects putting and, you know, hitting balls on the range and you don't want to, you know, put any bad habits into play. So you kind of just go out there and just play and, you know, see how you can control your ball and in the wind and everything. But yeah, coming out to, you know, Cabo in Florida, it's been, it's been a lot nicer. Winds have been down and, uh, temperatures have been up, which is definitely definitely golf being an outdoor sport. Obviously, it's not we don't have as as many opportunities to play as you know other sports. But I mean, that's kind of why I'm I'm pretty fortunate to you know come out here and travel to all these places, warm weather, and and that's kind of how college golf does it as well. I mean, they do you know we we go up to Chicago in the fall, but you know in the fall that's right after summer, so it's still warm and everything, but now when the when the when the cold months come in we're only going to warm places so i think you kind of answered one of the questions i had there is do you do you consider yourself more of a range rat or are you like a guy that likes to get out on the golf course and play um i'm definitely more of a i, I like to go out and play i yeah. mean pretty much every single day i like to play at least nine holes kind of just to see where my game's at because you know hitting balls on the range is you know if you need to work on your swing i think it's great but it's the same lie, you know, the same wind you're hitting into every single time. I mean, you can go on different parts of the range to, you know, change up the wind, but for the most part, you're going to be hitting the same shot. And it's just, for me, I don't feel like you, you get as much out of it. Whereas on the course, I mean, you're, you're, there's so many different shots, different lies. I mean, you have to hit, you know, bumping runs around the greens and putting and everything. So, I mean, I, I, I would rather go play, but I've also learned to, you know, hit a lot of wedges and, and practice and stuff and, you know, kind of get the most out of what I'm going to practice since I don't like doing it as much, you know, really stay focused and get the most out of it instead of just, you know, hitting 10, hitting balls for three hours. And, you know, once I'm finally content with how I'm hitting it, give up, you know, how did, uh, so I imagine too, kind of on the, on that weather note, moving from Southern California to Stillwater was probably a bit of an adjustment for, uh, kind of seasonal golf and whatnot, but how did you, how did you get into golf? What was your junior career like? And how did you end up at Oklahoma state? I probably started playing golf when I was, my dad probably got me to the range at, you know, five or six or something like that. And, uh, there was a summer camp right next to my house, which kind of had all sports and, uh, golf was one of them. So I, I kind of started off playing all sports growing up, football, uh, baseball, basketball, soccer, and golf. And, uh, I, you know, I played all those sports until I was about 12 and the, all the, or, I mean, once I hit about seven or eight though, 
I went to a golf specific summer camp, which was kind of what got me the most invested in it. But uh, kind of started playing tournaments when I was about ten or eleven. Kind of like golf the most. I mean, I was also the best at it, which kind of that helps drag you in that direction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's maybe why I enjoyed it the most. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I played all the other sports and kind of gave them up once I was, you know, getting ready to go into high school and kind of just stuck with golf and played tournaments and you know I, I I started playing you know junior tournaments around my house and was winning those and kind of you know expanded throughout California at that point and uh, was winning more and more higher higher level events you know not any AJGAs yet but once I got into high school that's kind of when I started playing AJGAs and did all right in those went to the polo golf junior classic uh, which is now at which is now I think called the Rolex, but uh, I played that PJ National and that was my first Invitational, other than uh, like a junior All Star Invitational, and came in second in that. So that kind of jump started my my junior career. And uh, let me jump in there. Sorry, uh, I want to get to kind of how you ended up at Oklahoma State, but uh, first of all, I want to see how far into the interview I can make it without asking about your swing yet. But I kind of do want to know what when you picked up, started picking up a club at that young age, what your swing looked like and how that compares to now. And when when was the first person that ever tried to change your move? I would say my swing was pretty was pretty natural. I think since I started playing. I mean, I'm sure when I was a young kid, I kind of just swung the club around. So I'm, I really don't remember what, if it, you know, really had the loop or I'm sure I did the leg kick. That was kind of a, that was kind of a, a you know, patented move. Yeah. A patented move that I've always done, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it, I always had the, the little loop, especially when I first started swinging. I think that was kind of something that just felt natural to me. And, uh, and I did have a few people try to change it, to be honest. I mean, and I think it, first of all, I think it has changed over the years because I saw a video of me when I was about probably 14 or 15 playing in AJGA and my move really, I really didn't, you know, take it. I took it back, you know, a little upright and my hands were a little, a little cocked, but I don't really think it was that as exaggerated. And I think just as I grew and, and became, you know, more you know grew into my swing more it started to become this pretty exaggerated you know move and um unorthodox i would say but um growing up i did have a couple people you know i had river ridge uh golf course or golf club i think i was playing a junior tournament there and i think uh i shot maybe 69 the first round 68 something like that it was a good score and i was leading by a couple and I was on the range in the second round and some, it might've been the club pro or um, I don't want to talk bad about him. And I might've just been some random old guy who was on the range, but he, uh, I didn't know who he was. And, you know, he came up to me and knew that I played well the first day and, you know, was asking me about my swing, if I've ever taken lessons and um, was kind of just, you know, trying to get me to go to him and, and, you know, tell me that, you know, if he, if I went to him and changed my swing a little bit, made it a little more consistent that, I could actually, you know, have a future <laughs> in this game. And, you know, at that point I wasn't really, I wasn't really that enthralled in everything with my swing and, you know, taking videos of it and how it looked. It kind of just, if I played well, I played well. If I didn't, then I, I, I didn't really do anything to my swing. I kind of just was like, oh, I better keep on practicing. But 
that was about, yeah, that was about when I was like 10 or 11 and then didn't really have a coach until, um, until high school. Yeah. My freshman year of high school, I, that's when I started seeing George cause he was practice or he taught at the course that our team practice practiced at. And, uh, I kind of was just hitting by him and, and I had this move and he was, you know, he was pretty intrigued by it and kind of came up to me and he goes, well, he's like, that move is sick. And <laughs> have you ever, you know, thought about having a coach or something like that? And I was like, nah, most people just try to change my swing. And he goes, no, nah, like that's the sickest thing I've ever seen. You know? And he told, he told me that, you know, ever, ever from the, or even from the start, I mean, I could be, you know, as soon as he saw me hit the ball, he goes, dude, you have never seen anything like it. It's like the sickest move. I mean, you know how George talks. Well, I was going to ask you to do an impression of him at some point, and you just cut, went ahead and did it right for me anyways without me having to ask. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, he probably like, you know, his eyes got wide. and your move, your move is dope, bro. I guarantee yeah, that. Yeah, so dope. I mean, <laughs> you, just, you just get scooshied at the top, and from there, I mean, dude, it's just so sick, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like I feel like you guys are kind of a perfect match in that regard. You would have needed somebody that's somewhat unconventional to kind of embrace your unconventional swing and not really try to change it. Basically, you, the way I see it is he's trying to get the most out of the move that you've created instead of trying to change it in any way. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, no, I think that's actually one of the best best ways I've heard it said, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, most people, you know, don't really people who don't know anything about golf or at least don't know the swing, you know, look at me and say, that's a weird swing or how does that work? And you know, all that, all that talk, but you know, for him and you know, how unconventional he is. I mean, he shows up to the golf course in a flat bill and untucked neon green shirt and Jordan flip flops. So how, how has the swing evolved though over the years? And I think I remember reading Ryan Lavner's piece on golf channel, uh, about you. And I think in there, it said you were at one point 12 degrees into out when you first started working with George or at some point working with, the, with George. And now you're about four degrees. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think I probably was around 12. That might be a little exaggeration, but <laughs> I mean, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. When I first started going to him, I was, you know, I had to, my, right foot was way behind my left foot i mean i had the most closed stance i think i've ever seen i was kind of just playing big slinging hooks in there didn't rotate my body kind of just got stuck at impact and was hoping that i would i could control the draw and i really couldn't hit a cut to save my life and not that not that that was a problem i mean george was kind of just like you know let's you know minimize the amount of draw that you have and you know rotate your swing or rotate a little more and you make sure to get through the ball instead of just, you know, throwing your hands at it and letting the club release really early. He kind of just, that's kind of what we've been working on. I mean, ever since I've been going to him for at least six, seven years now. We've been to that range there at Westlake. I mean, are you hitting balls over that net in the back of it? I mean, how uh, you're swinging about 130 miles an hour from what I gather. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no way that range is holding you these days. <laughs> well, um, me and uh, one of my friends, Alex Malay, who was on our high school team, we, I mean, he, he's like six, four, he kills the ball. I mean, he hits it forever. And uh, so me and him were kind of, before they had regular range balls, not limited flight. I mean, and we would hit them over all the time and you know, the, the management would come out <laughs> and they'd be like, make sure you're not hitting them over. And, and, and me and him would hit one like into the middle of the net. I'll be like, yeah, I killed that as much as I've got. 
and just and then they'd go back inside and then we'd just smash them over which probably wasn't safe considering the 101 freeway was right on the other side of the the net there i think there was one time when it was at one of us i'm not really sure i don't think it was me but it might have been and uh, we hit a we hit a uh, a car right in the windshield Uh-oh. and yeah, so they drove, <laughs> they drove back in Westlake and was like, what happened? Or, you know, one of you guys hit my car, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, they came straight over to us. And, I mean, I was sitting down at the time. I don't even think I was hitting. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't hitting. I don't <laughs> – I didn't even have any balls. So, I mean, I must have finished them right right as soon as he came in, <laughs> which, was, which was pretty nice. But – um, yeah. And then right after that, they got limited flight golf ball, golf balls, which obviously I didn't like it as much. Cause you know, their ball wouldn't react as, mm-hmm. you know, according to how you actually hit it. But I, I mean, me and Alex can still hit those limited flight golf balls out of the, out of the, the range. So, <laughs> you broke the I mean, range at Wesley basically. <laughs> pretty pretty like. much. Yeah. All right. Listen up. This will only take a second. <laughs> That's not true. It's going to take at least 30 seconds. To tell you about the Apex Irons from Callaway. It's the Merch Czar here with a quick story. I was gaming the Apex Pro Irons, which, listen, they're sweet. But since I'm a wildly inconsistent ball striker, I switched to the regular Apex Irons. And guess what? They might have a sweet spot that's bigger than my right miss. So if you don't play that often and you're looking for some irons you can connect with consistently but also don't want those irons to look like a full set of hybrids at a dress, consider a set of regular Apex irons. Head to CallawayGolf.com and yeah, tell them I sent you. All right, let's get back to the pod. Well, what was it like uh, kind of when you're getting in the recruiting process and how you got to Oklahoma State? Were any college coaches that were recruiting you, did they, you know, I kind of want to know who embraced the different, the unconventional way you swing it and who kind of said, I think you can play it at, the, at our school, but I think you need to change some things. Did you experience that at all? I can't really say I did. I I definitely, I was definitely hearing that from other people and from maybe not coaches, but, or maybe not college coaches, but swing coaches and other people who I've heard talk just kind of say, you know, once he grows, he's going to grow out of his swing or it won't last, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, I never really let that stuff get to me, but, um, I was actually committed to USC as a freshman, I think. And that was kind of when I first started playing AJGAs and, um, the coach Chris Zambri there, who I, I mean I really like, I think he's a really good guy and a great coach. And he kind of recruited me, and at that point I was a little anxious and didn't really know how good I was going to be, or if I was going to be good at all. Mm-hmm. And um, he kind of you know offered me a pretty big scholarship, and kind of I I kind of just jumped on it because I wanted to have security. Mm-hmm. And at that point I wasn't really. I wasn't really thinking and I didn't, like I said, I didn't know how, how good I was going to be or if I was going to be good. So you were also like 15 years old at this point. So yeah, exactly. So I I was pretty young and kind of made a a little immature decision, but I started playing these bigger tournaments and, and getting more recognition and, but all these coaches, which I respected what they said to me, but they told me, they go, I'm not going to recruit you because you're already committed. And I said, why not? It's just a, it's just a verbal commitment. And they kind of explained to me, if you were committed to my school, I wouldn't want other college coaches talking to you because that's, you know, that's not right. And at that point, I kind of, 
I kind of realized like, Hey, I mean, I think I could definitely, you know, look at other places and stuff. And, you know, I, I decommitted from USC, I think beginning of my sophomore year. And I kind of told them, I still want to, you know, talk to you guys. Cause it, you, at the end of the day, you might've been, or USC might've been the best fit for me, but I kind of, I definitely need to explore. Cause I didn't, I didn't talk to any other coaches or, you know, explore any other schools or visit any other places when I committed. So I wasn't sure if that was the best fit for me. I kind of just jumped on it. And so uh, at that point, I, I decommitted. And, and then I've always kind of been an Oklahoma State fan because I've always been a Ricky Fowler fan. Even when I was younger, when I was 12, 11 years old. I mean, when I first started playing tournaments and stuff, he was always my favorite. And uh, and I, I just kind of wanted to go there. But I never really thought that I would be able to. And uh, I started getting recruited by a bunch of a bunch of colleges. I mean, all the big ones, Texas, Oregon. I mean, I was talking to all the coaches or whatever. And um, I never really talked to Oklahoma State that much. But there was one tournament I played um, in Solvang, California, at Olisol. And I shot 66-61. And I think one by 13 or something like that. And apparently... It was a Toyota Tour Cup, which is a tour that Ricky uh, that Ricky played on when he was younger, and because um, he grew up in Marietta, uh, Ricky's caddy Joe or kind of heard about me through that and how I shot that low, and uh, told the assistant coach Brian Goots about me a little bit. But I think also the kid I played with when I shot sixty one, um, actually I might have played with him both rounds, but he was about to take a visit to Oklahoma state with coach Bratton. And he actually kind of told coach Bratton that he played with a played with me and I shot 66, 61. And that's, and that's kind of how they first heard about me. Cause they didn't know who I was mm-hmm. until the kid I played with in that tournament was taking a visit. And he kind of said my name and, you know, they kind of jumped on it and was like, Whoa, this kid shot 61. I might, might want to know who this is. That's a pretty crazy butterfly effect. It's also it's also crazy to you know hear you talk about Ricky Fowler being somebody you look, looked up to and like when he came out on tour like oh nine or twenty ten you were you were nine or ten years old like you were still an extremely impressionable uh, age at that point. I mean I guess kind of what 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 when you say you always looked up to him or always a fan of him what kind of drew you to him uh, at that age? Um, I just kind of liked his charisma and like how he played and stuff. I mean, I think I think he was out on tour when I first really started getting into him. I didn't really know him in college, but he wore those bright colors. And I'm not saying I'm a huge fan of those bright colors. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, like, I just loved the way he played and how young and and like fun he was, and you know how good of a player he was. And I mean, I didn't even know anything really about it. I just kind of knew that he went to Oklahoma State, and that made me really like Oklahoma State. And I mean, that's kind of how it all started out. You know, I remember I had either I had a laptop or my mom did and I used my mom's and I remember I put like the OSU background on like the screen of the laptop Wow. when I was like when I was like 11, 12 years old. Like this was before I've even like before I even thought about going to college for golf or or doing anything. You know, it kind of I remember distinctively, you know, putting that background on on the computer and like pretty funny how things worked out i guess yeah i mean you win a state you win a national title uh in your first year at oklahoma state um what what was it like kind of playing in that championship match and have you felt uh any kind of nerves that were similar to that to that point it was unbelievable honestly uh that that championship match was 
I mean, it was just so cool, especially, you know, to have it at Carson, our home club, and all the support, all the fans that came out was unbelievable. There were, I mean, five, five, six thousand people, I think, each day out there. And, uh, I mean, at least, I think, you know, three, four hundred with each group. I mean, more, I think there were more for Austin because he's a hometown kid. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was unbelievable. Be able to, or being able to drain that last putt was, I mean, probably I still get goosebumps when I watch the videos and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I was definitely nervous, you know, being in front and all these, especially, you know, with me playing so well, everyone expected me to, you know, perform and, that's a lot of pressure, but I would definitely say I've 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 relived the pressure at sixteen at waste management. Well, I was gonna that was gonna be my next question is you you got a sponsor's exemption into waste management, uh, and I want to f- first how does that process work? Are you kind of did they approach you to uh, you know kind of offering you a, a exemption or did you approach them asking for one? How's it how's the, what's the initial step in that process for somebody of your caliber? For me, it was kind of just um, I played really well and. They definitely knew who I was, but um, I didn't approach them at all. I kind of told Coach Bratton that I kind of wanted to, you know, play in an event and see where my game's at compared to the pros. Coach Bratton kind of took took his own, you know, took it in his own to um, contact Chance uh, Cosby, who was the tournament director at Waste Management. Who, I mean, they've uh, Coach Bratton and Chance have known each other for years and years. They were they I mean, they played. I don't know if they played college golf together, but they worked at the at Ping together. You know, once Coach Bratton just got out of college, so they've known each other for a while. And I was told that you know, waste management kind of wanted not wanted me, but wanted me in the discussion to play in the tournament. But Coach Bratton was the one who reached out and um, talked to him, and you know, fu- really finalized and got me the spot into the tournament. And so how did that kind of, so you get thrown kind of into the fire right away. There's not much more of a crazy atmosphere uh, event-wise that you'll have on the PGA Tour. What, how did that compare nerve-wise to anything else you'd ever experienced? I'd say, you know, the first couple holes at the National Championship, not even, you know, that last putt, obviously I was really nervous, but that was later in the round. I already had a bunch of good shots in my, you know, in my back pocket to rely on and take take the good from. So that wasn't as bad, but... The first couple holes, the first round of stroke play were were pretty nerve wracking. I mean, I, I didn't, I don't think I settled down until about the started on ten, so about the fourteenth tee, I think, was the first time I really settled down and, and felt comfortable. What What did you learn about yourself during that week at uh, at Waste Management? I I think I learned that, you know, I, I've all I've I've been told and I, I believe that I you know can play with the best players in the world and that put, I will be one of the best players in the world in, in the future. But I think just the biggest thing is, is the belief of, of me, you know, knowing that I can, because if you look, I mean, the stats for the week, the driving distance, driving accuracy, ball striking, I mean, and I, I, I'm usually a really good putter and I really didn't putt well that week. And um, I know if I did, I definitely could have, you know, I don't know about contended, but I know I could have definitely had a top 10 or top 15 finish. Cause I putted good the first day in the last three days. I haven't putted that bad in a very long time. So I think, you know, for the most part, it wasn't, it was me just, you know, knowing that I can compete with them and that obviously I have some work to do and to get better and be a little more, not consistent, but 
Well, that's the next question. What do you need to improve on and what do you need to do? Do you have anything you consider a weakness and did that get exposed at all uh, at waste management? Well, I, I mean, I think my chipping around the greens chipping isn't one of my, it, I wouldn't say it's a weakness. I've definitely worked on it pretty hard. And these last couple tournaments that I've played, I've been chipping really well. Um, but that was one thing at waste management that wasn't, you know, as solid as I'd want it to be. Um, probably gave a few strokes back there. Putting is usually a strength of mine. I'm a really good putter and I, I have a lot of confidence with putting, but I really wasn't putting good that week. And I don't think it had anything to do with, you know, the, the stage or the pressure. I think it was just, you know, I, the putts weren't dropping that week. So, um, nothing, I wasn't worried about that at all. Cause the next week when I played in Hawaii, I won and I think gained about four or five strokes over or for five or six strokes over three rounds in that, uh, tournament. So I, I'd probably say wedges and, and chipping is the biggest thing for me. Cause my ball striking is, is really good. My driving and, and irons are really good. It's just, you know, hitting wedges closer. And once I miss a green, having the ability to get it up and down. And the thing, the thing I learned the most about waste management is just, you know, those pros get the most out of their game. Mm -hmm. They never really, you know, I played with Zach Johnson and, and, you know, Stuart Sink and Kevin Kisner and, you know, for example, Zach Johnson and Kevin Kisner, I mean, they don't bomb it by any means, but I mean, they're two of the best players in the world just because they get, you know, they're really good with wedges and good putters and they really get the most out of their game. They don't, they don't give up strokes and, you know, don't compound mistakes. You know, if they make one, they'll, they'll bounce right back from it. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is to be able to practice that and get my attitude a little better and be able to rebound from bad shots. And I think, I think I'll be doing all right. Were you starstruck by anybody out there? Did you see anybody out there and kind of have a, an old shit moment or did anybody come up to you and say anything that kind of surprised you? What's your, what's your favorite story from the week? Um, that was a lot of questions at once. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know which one to answer. Um, (laughs) Probably. I don't think I was starstruck by anyone. Like I said, I mean, I think the biggest person I'd be starstruck by is Ricky. And, you know, I've talked to Ricky a bunch of times. I mean, I can text him anytime I want to. He's, he's, he's really nice to us. He's good to Oklahoma state. He comes back every once in a while. So I hang out with him and no, all the, all the guys are really nice out there. To be honest, the guys that I I like Kevin Kisner and, and Zach Johnson a lot, um, Stewart Sink and JB Holmes, who I played with as well, were, were awesome, really stand up guys. And, you know, were really nice to me and said, you know, after the rounds, if I needed anything, just let them know and they can do what they can to help me out, which was, I thought was really, really cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they all kind of said hi to me, you know, a bunch of guys, Tony Finau came up to me and said, hi. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really, you know, starstruck. I just, I was pretty excited and, and and kind of kind of amazed a little how you know nice they were because you know at the end of the day they're all playing against each other and same how same with college I mean I go up to guys and say hi even though I'm competing against them but I think it might be a little different out on tour but it really wasn't I mean they were all super nice and welcomed me and said hi and asked me how it was going and that was really cool what was it like playing that 16th hole uh sat it was was it was it really noticeably different on Saturday compared to the other days as well um yes 100 percent um thursday was pretty crazy because i teed off on the back nine in the morning but i was the last tee time off so by the time i got there it was about 11 maybe maybe 10 45 so it's already been open for a while a bunch of bunch of alcohol has been consumed and you know people were all were all packed in so 
it was really nerve wracking, especially since I was the first time I went through it. And uh, Friday was different though. Friday, I was the very last group to go through it. So everyone has had kind of left. And that was the, the day I missed the green, actually. I missed the green. Yeah, I missed the green once in that middle left bunker and uh, to that middle left pin. And luckily it was on Friday with the, with the least amount of people because I got booed pretty bad and then got it up and down. So there was a roar when I made about a 10, 15 footer, which was nice. But yeah, Saturday, I mean, when I went through, it was ridiculous because I teed off one. So by the time I got there, I mean, it was two o'clock or I mean, not or Yeah, it might have been around two, maybe one. And I mean, it was just. I don't even know why they hold up those quiet signs. I think my mom <laughs> said that a couple of days ago. I mean, I, I'm looking at them about to hit my shot and the the volunteers hold up those quiet signs and I feel like it gets louder when they do that. <laughs> so say two might be like the most prime time to go through because when you get to the very end, people are kind of almost near pass out stage, I think, but they've been waiting for a long time for people to come around, come two o'clock. So they're fired up. Oh yeah. Are you going to try to play in uh, any other? Should we look for you in any other PGA Tour events in the in the in the short term future? Or kind of what of your what are your short term uh, scheduling plans? Um, I, I I don't think so. I'm not I'm not really sure what's going to happen yet. But as of now, I'm I'm pretty set on going pro after nationals. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent though. I'm going to see how the rest of the year goes. I'm going to try to play local qualifiers for us open as an amateur or I mean, as a, as an amateur, obviously, but I'm going to try to play locals. So if I do end up, um, making it through sectionals as well, I can turn pro as before the U S open, because if I were to take my amateur um, ranking and skip locals and just go to sectionals and make it, I wouldn't be able to, to turn pro. Gotcha. So I think I'm going to do locals and then, you know, like I said, kind of as the year goes on, kind of see, you know, how I'm progressing and if I feel like I'm ready to turn pro after nationals. But, uh, I mean, at this point, you only get seven starts and I've already used one of them with waste management. So I only get six now if I were to turn pro. So I think I'm going to be saving those. Mm -hmm those exemptions for when I do go pro to, you know, have the most amount of starts to earn the most money and get me the best, the best status on, you know, web or hopefully, you know, do what Joaquin did and make it straight to the PGA tour. But I mean, that's uh that's the plan right now. Like I said, I mean, a lot of things can change. I have, you know, two, three months to see where my game's at and, and, you know, kind of, kind of finalize everything. So hopefully at this, at this pace, I think I will be going pro, but you know, like I said, a lot of things can change. You never know what's going to happen. I want to ask you about Victor Hovland, your teammate at Oklahoma State, um, number two ranked AM in the world. First of all, you're the you've won five out of seven events, and you're only the third ranked amateur in the world. I have some questions about the amateur ranking system, but uh, what's it like <laughs> kind of having somebody? What's your guys' relationship like, and what's it like having a teammate uh, that you guys are are so closely ranked together? And kind of is there a co- competitive nature between the two of you, or what, what's the dynamic of that relationship? There's, I mean, obviously we're both very competitive. We both want to be the best, and you know. At the same time, though, that doesn't mean I'm not happy for him. I mean, obviously, I didn't get to play in that USAM, but when he won it, I was extremely happy for him. I thought that was awesome, and he really, you know, he really works hard, and he's a really good player. I'd say, I'd say it's helped me more than anything. You know, him being, you know, so high ranked, and all these guys, especially like even Austin. You know, it's, you know, he's he's really really high up there in ranking, and 
but for Victor, I mean, he's there's definitely parts of the game that he's a lot better at than I am, and there's parts of the game where I'm a lot better than he is. So it's nice to kind of you know compare our skills and and play against each other every single day, and you know kind of push each other to to be better because we're kind of in the same boat right now. We're both you know two of the biggest the biggest you know commodities about about to you know be ready to turn pro and. I think the most important thing is for us to just, you know, help each other out and, and be there for each other. Cause I've heard, I didn't really experience it at the waste management, but I've heard it's, you know, it's pretty lonely out there. Everyone's just trying to, it's a doggy dog world. All these new guys trying to go out and turn pro and get starts and everything. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, it's sometimes hard, you know, still having friends out there and stuff, but I think it's, it's really good that me and Victor are, are pretty close and, really competitive really happy for each other when we when we win but obviously you want to be the one holding the trophy at the end are you i don't know if nervous is the right word or are you uh i'll I'll use that word are you nervous at all about the expectations that have been heaped on you and do you think they're uh that they're realistic or does that does that kind of pressure overwhelm you at all at any time um i'd say when i'm off the golf course i think sometimes it does there's a lot of expectations for me. I mean, everyone's saying, I just, you know, saw something on golf channel this morning on Twitter. That was, you know, am I the Zion Williamson of college golfers <laughs> or is Zion Williamson, the Matt Wolf of college basketball? It's like, that's pretty, that's, that's a pretty big statement to be said. So I think sometimes obviously it, you know, it is a little overwhelming. And I, the biggest thing for me is I hate letting people down. I always want to say yes to people and I'm always trying to be as nice as possible so, you know, in that, in that case, it is, it is kind of hard, but luckily for me, when I'm on the golf course, I really don't think about any of that. I really just think about, you know, me playing the best. And that's kind of why I like golf the most is because at the end of the day, it's you, you're the one hitting the shots. You're the one making the decisions. And if you play bad, it's on you. It's not on anyone else. And even though all these expectations are set for me, you know, if I don't live up to them, you know, the only person that's going to be feeling it is me, which is, you know, I think I really like that. You know, I'm not relying on anyone else. And I think on the golf course, I don't think about all those expectations. I just think if I play bad, I'm not worried about the rankings. I'm not worried about, you know, money or how much or, you know, anything scoring average or stats or anything like that. For me, I'm just like, I want to play good because I want to play good. I expect it of myself. And, and I, you know, I want to be the best player I can and the best in the world. So, hey, like I said, it is hard off the golf course, you know, constantly thinking about all the all the expectations people have set for me. But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, on the golf course, I handle it really well and not think about all that. Even even when I am playing bad or even when I am playing good, you know, I'm not saying don't lose it now or if I'm playing bad, I need to step it up because all these people are you know counting on me and looking at me as a as like a, you know, not a god, but, you know, as someone who's above everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is hard, but like I said, when I'm on the course, I only think about me playing well for me, which is nice. What I know we talked a bit about George earlier, but I kind of want to dig a little bit more on kind of the dynamic of your guys' relationship. I don't, I, I, am I correct in saying it's not normal to see a guy's swing coach caddy for somebody in a PGA tour event? How did, was there any doubt in your mind that you wanted George to caddy for you at waste management and kind of how did that, uh, that go about? I, I wouldn't say there was there was really anyone else that I had in mind to caddy for me. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Steve Lohmeyer, who I think is on the bag for Colt Nose, who uh, Coach Dar knows really well. We were kind of talking about him being on the bag, and 
but at the end of the day, I think the most important thing for me at the at the first event, especially waste management with how crazy it gets, is just to have someone, you know, keep me calm out there. And like I said before, I felt like I had, you know, I had confidence that I could go out there and play with those guys. And it's, you know, for me, I trust myself and my game and, you know, my my shot making, you know, skills and decisions and stuff to to be able to play really well. And for me, I think it was just not letting the stage get to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was there was no one that knows me better and can keep me calm like George. Do you guys talk technical stuff out there, or is it is it is he switch over to just being a straight caddy? No, he switches over to being a straight caddy. He doesn't he doesn't tell me anything during the round. He knows me better than that because for me, one of the biggest things about George and you know why I love working with him is he teaches me about my swing and not just about you know how to swing. So if I'm if I'm struggling or if I'm missing it left or stuff, I know exactly what to do in my swing in order to change that. So for him, he doesn't want to put any other, you know, information in my head. It's more just, you know, he's straight giving me numbers and keeping me calm and being there when he needs to be, but not, you know, telling me what to do. And last one I've got for you here. I should have mixed this in when we were talking about your swing, but where did your little, the hip trigger that you, that you have before you start your swing, where did that come from? Is that something you've always done? Um, no, that's a, that's actually, that's probably the newest thing in my swing, even though it's probably the thing that most people notice the, or people notice the most. I was a sophomore in high school and, uh, I was playing pickup football with my friends and, uh, we were on the high school football field, ran out for a pass, and some people say I tripped over the ball. <laughs> some, some people say, sorry, I mean, I'll, I'll tell everyone that I just lost my balance, you know, when you're, like, running really fast and kind of, you know, lose your balance forward and, and, you know, eat it on your shoulder or something. So that's kind of what I tell people, but everyone else who, every one of my close friends tells me, tells everyone that I tripped over a ball <laughs> to make me sound uncoordinated and unathletic. But uh, yeah, so I tripped over the ball, broke my collarbone, and was out for about five weeks. And I honestly have no clue if that has any effect on it. But as soon as I came back, George told me I was really closed at setup. You know, for me, my miss was left at the time. Like I said, I played, I used to play a big draw. And, you know, when I was struggling, I'd always miss it left because I wouldn't rotate and I'd always miss it left. And, And George told me, you need to open your shoulders. You need to aim more left. And I said, how the hell does that make sense? If, I'm, if my miss is left, why do I want to aim left? And, and I mean, getting past all the technical stuff, he just told me I need to aim left, I need to aim left. And for me, I had a really hard time doing that. And so he goes, all right, we need to somehow get you to open up your chest and your hips before your swing. For me, I was like, I don't know what to do. And he kind of just made me, you know how he kind of, you know, does hands-on stuff and like opens you up, you know, mm-hmm. as like a little pre-shot. So he kind of did that to me. And I said, oh, I kind of like this move. I kind of feels good. He was like, all right, we'll do it yourself. And so I kind of did it like little, you know, got my shoulders around, got my hips around. You know, from that point on, I just always did it as like a, you know, as an alignment aid kind of. For me, it was, you know, to open my, you know, to set up more open to the shot, not have my shoulders as far right. And from that point on, it just kind of stuck with me. It became my trigger. So I can't start a swing without doing that. Hmm. And people ask me all the time, can you swing without doing it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can. But it just feels so, I feel like I'm sitting over it forever. And they're like, they're like, all right, take it back now. And I'm like, well, I feel like I'm missing something. (laughs) 
how far down the bag does that go all the way down to chipping or where, where do you not do the the hip turn it's kind of you know a feel thing yeah it's not so much at a certain yardage i stop right it's kind of like usually i mean i'm guessing if i had to give you a number it's probably around 40 yards okay that makes sense. I think anything inside 40 yards, I'm pretty, you know, I don't really do that move. Maybe a touch of forward press before I hit. But other than that, that's about it. But once I go past 40 yards and on, I, I always do it. I lied. There, I do have one more question I forgot to put on my list. But uh, you, you rushed a fraternity. Was it last year or this year? Kind of what was the, the thought process behind that? I So I, I rushed uh, Fiji, Phi Gamma Delta, last spring. So my freshman year spring. And... Uh, I kind of just, you know, coming from, like I said, Southern California to, to Oklahoma, I uh, didn't know a lot of people. I knew Austin Eckroat and the guys on the golf team, but that was about it. And he knew a lot of people coming from, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, pretty much Edmond. Um, he knew so many people that, you know, are, were already at Oklahoma State. So he had friends outside of the golf team and I really didn't. And for me, I'm a really social guy. I mean, I like talking with people and especially when I'm off the golf course, I don't like talking about golf really. I like to be hanging out and, you know, talking about other things. And for me, I really didn't have anyone that I could go, you know, call up and be like, Hey, you want to go get lunch? Or, you know, you want to hang out, you want to come over and, you know, play video games or something. And I thought that was really important for me to have. And so about, yeah, I mean, after my fall semester of my freshman year, I was kind of, I, I got presented with this opportunity that, Austin kind of set it up a little bit, but I was, I was the one who kind of, you know, said I kind of wanted to rush a fraternity and, you know, make some new friends and stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really glad I did it because some of my best friends that I know are going to be lifelong, you know, for, you know, the rest of my life are ones that I've met in Fiji, which is, you know, really cool. When I was at Waste Management, I think five, no, six, Six of my um, fraternity brothers came out, drove 14 hours the oh. night before to, to come out and watch me. And they were out there, uh, I think, the entire week. So, I mean, just things like that where it's, you know, it's so cool to have friends like that. And, you know, especially friends that don't play golf, you know, some, you know, I could have another, you know, we go play basketball. We can go, you know, watch a movie or just do, you know, stupid things, you know, not surrounded by golf, which was, you know, really really important to me yeah you got to have some balance all right matt thanks so much for taking the time man this was fun this was very insightful and i think i speak for uh our entire audience that are we're rooting for you and uh wish you the best of luck going forward and uh and uh thanks for coming on really appreciate it man of course yeah like i said thanks for having me sweet thanks man cheers be the right club be the right club today honey that's Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect 